This message by Pastor Eric Ludy was given at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. As a ministry, we desire to see the return of strong, triumphant Christianity in the church today. We make these messages available free of charge for the purpose of strengthening the body of Christ and igniting bold faith in the hearts of believers around the world. The ministry of Ellerslie is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you have been personally impacted by Ellerslie's messages, please consider partnering with us as we build world changers for Jesus Christ through gospel-centered discipleship. Visit ellerslie.com to learn more. Now, here's Pastor Eric Ludy. The Amen Life, a study in the return of blazing integrity to the church. Not just integrity blazing integrity, where what marks us is integrity. What marks us is a trueness to our word, a trueness to our action. We do what we say we will do, and we keep doing what we say we will do. When the word of God says something, we do it. We keep his word. We keep our word, which is to say that we're going to keep his word. And so let's enter this uh, fascinating yet very convicting message. So to really understand the amen life, which probably makes no sense to you, to just call a message the amen life sounds really weird. By the end of this, I hope you really have caught the vision for this. So I'm going to give you the opposite to the amen life, which will help you begin to understand what the amen life is because it's the contradistinction to The fickle life. Now, some of you are like, fickle? What in the world is fickle? So that didn't help you, did it? So I have amen and fickle. Well, hopefully you understand what fickle is by the end, too. One of of the words that catches me uh, funny is the word pickle. And so my sister, when she had a replacement sort of swear word growing up, she said pickle. Uh, And so that's usually what I think of. Uh, But fickle is is a word. And here's what I want you to understand from the very beginning. God is not fickle. Now, it helped. help. Yeah, see, what you said to that was amen. Isn't that funny? <laughs> He's amen. However, what we are naturally popping out of the womb is fickle. So that's why you're going to see a contrast between the two. Fickle. It's even a funny word. It's funny sounding, everything about it. You don't, if you're writing a, a good song, you wouldn't stick fickle in it. You know, because then the only thing that would ever rhyme with it would be tickle and pickle. And it's just, it turns into a VeggieTales song instead of... <laughs> Uh, so I'm going to introduce you to the fickle, okay? This would be the fickle friend, the fickle man in your life, the fickle uh, neighbor, the fickle uh, parent, the fickle child, fickle, okay? When the fickle says he will do something, he likely won't get it done. So this is, I'm introducing you to the definition of fickle without giving you a definition yet. Okay, so the fickle, when he says he will do something, likely won't get it done. When times get tough in your life, your friend, the fickle, packs his bag and goes elsewhere. You see, he's fickle. So if difficulty arises, then he's a fickle friend. He's going to leave when times get tough. Do you remember uh, the, uh, what, what was that parable of the lost son? I'm trying to, the, the good, oh, what, what's that one? Prodigal. The prodigal goes off and has all this money, right? And his friends, you know, sort of... Uh, are all over the place. But the moment he goes into tough times, what happens to his fickle friends? They leave. When criticism comes at you, your friend, the fickle, tends to agree with it. What kind of friend is that? You get criticized, and what does your friend do? He says, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of truth there. 
In other words, you find that he turns on you in the very moment you need a defender. When disrespect towards you is in vogue, that means the popular item of the day, your friend the fickle fickle is apt to join in. The fickle is big talk, low output. The fickle is the sort of friend that really isn't much of a friend. He's highly critical because he's fickle. He's disloyal because he's fickle. And he's self-absorbed because that's what fickle people are. They're always thinking about themselves. The fickle is quick to be harsh towards others and find their faults because they're fickle. In other words, they love you one day and the next day all they see are your faults and your flaws and that's all they want to talk about. But listen to this. But they're also quick to defend their own fickleness and overlook their own shortcomings. So just as quick as they are to condemn you, they're quick to defend themselves. You see, they're fickle. The fickle is the bane of the modern church. That means it's the great problem and disease and scourge of the modern church. We have fickleness in our ranks. We stand with the truth as long as it keeps us comfortable. But the moment it begins to veer off course from culture and we begin to get a little heat, we'll back away from it. Welcome to the modern church who wants to be politically correct. That is fickleness. If you stand with God, stand with God. If you don't, get out. You're either with him or you're not. There's no middle ground. There's no fence sitting in the kingdom of heaven. That's fickleness. But that fickleness transcends more than just the big stuff. It affects us at the micro levels of our life where we find ourselves betraying those nearest and dear to us because we're fickle. We find ourselves speaking ill or even agreeing with the criticism towards those that are in our life that actually trust us because we are looking for the popularity ratings. Or we're turning around a corner in our life and we realize that we might see more clearly now. Our parents really didn't have it all together. They have some issues. And so what we find is ourselves betraying literally our parents, beginning to become their critiques, beginning to be their scourge in their life. Instead of standing with our parents, because, hey, they're our parents. Amen. The ever-maturing word. It's a great word, by the way. I have a message called the cry of the Roman soldier, which is a must-hear if you, if you like this. The cry of the Roman soldier is a focus on the word amen in Scripture. And it goes a lot deeper than what I'm going to go through today. But it's the ever-maturing word. It's a word that sort of grows inside of us. And there's a lot of words. Like if I said faith, you see, when you first understand faith, it's an important word to you. But then it becomes very important the more you understand faith. It's like, yeah, faith. And then pretty soon, faith. Faith is like an extraordinary idea. It's the same with grace. You understand grace at the beginning. It's like you're saved by it. You're like all happy about the word grace. And then suddenly you begin to understand the word grace. And you're like, whoa, I didn't see grace that way. Wow, grace. Wow, it's amazing. That's right. It seems to crescendo. That's the way it is with the truth of the word of God. Amen is like that. We're going to call it the ever-maturing word. You see, first, when when we're young, we have the word amen, and what do we do with it? We stick it at the end of our prayers. We really don't have a clue what it means, but it it means something like period. Like, all right, here's the the postage stamp, and now I'm going to put the flag up on the uh, mailbox, and now we're done? We're set? Is this going to be taken care of? Is it going to get to its end? We're like, all right, postage stamp. Uh, Send. Enter. That's our concept for it. We don't really understand what it means. But as we begin to grow in Christianity, we begin to realize, wait a minute. Yeah, what I'm saying is God will do it. God is sure to do it. God, who cannot lie, 
must do it. Ah, amen. And so when you say amen, you're basically sticking that adverbial declaration, kaboom, exclamation mark behind it saying, I agree. I'm behind that because I know God will do it. Okay? So, but then once you begin to see what amen is, you know what it leads you to? I can trust God. He is, he is worthy of my amen. And then get this. He is amen. And then what, what happens? You begin to worship. You worship the amen. You actually, because the amen's a person. It's not a punctuation. It's not a, a, a stamp. It's his character. It's his person. This is who he is. And so pretty soon it leads to worship. Started with the end of a prayer, little tag, turns into worship. But then it turns into something altogether greater. It turns into a life of living out, amen. If this is who he is and you worship him, what do you become like? The one you worship. And so you find yourself becoming like the amen. When you know that he said it, he will do it, how about you? When you say it, you will do it. You begin to take on the same integrity of God. Because why? Well, you're in God, and he's in you. You're in the amen, and that amen is in you. It's the ever-increasing word in your life. Amen. What exactly does it mean? So introducing the Hebrew word. Amen. There it is. There's no vowels in the Hebrew, so what you have is three letters. And the three letters, they're called roots. And the roots of this word is just three letters, the uh, aleph, the mean, and the nun in the Hebrew. And so it can be pronounced in different ways depending on what it's being used for. Okay, so I'll give you some introductions to it. It is the word for believe when it's in action. So you take those three letters and you pronounce them amen, and it actually is a verb or an action. Those same three letters, when put together, actually is the action of faith. And it is to believe. Okay? If you take those three letters together and make them a noun uh, in this form, it becomes the right hand. Isn't that an amazing thought? That the right hand is actually a man. And then it's also a master artisan, but more appropriately, and I'm hoping you're catching something as I go through this, it is the creator. Okay, now, where do all good messages lead? They lead to one singular person. We're not just talking about us. We're talking about the great focal point of the church of Jesus Christ. His name is Jesus. So as you go through this, and as you begin to learn this word and these three letters, they should take you somewhere. Okay, so the right hand. Who sits at the right hand of God, by the way? Okay, just just asking a simple question. Not that that has anything to do with what we're talking about. And then the creator, amen, or amon. And then faith or faithfulness. It actually is the word for faith. Is emun, or emunah, or omen. And then we have the word that you're familiar with. Okay? In fact, it's an adverb, but it's like an adverbial declaration. It's a very unusual word, and it's a very unusual use of three letters. But it's an adverbial declaration. And technically, this adverb, which is amen is the best-known word in human speech. Some people would argue Coca-Cola is better known, but technically throughout the ages, it's very possible that more people in every culture around the world know this word than any other word. Isn't that fascinating? 
It's interesting also because in the Old Testament, in our translations, very rarely do they use the word and translate it as amen, even though the Hebrew word is amen. But in the Greek, they actually keep the Hebrew and stick in amen. And so in the Greek, in the New Testament, you actually see the Hebrew word, even though in our Hebrew of translation, oh, I'm sorry, English translation of the Hebrew text in the Old Testament, they translate it. It's a really funny thing. So actually the word amen makes it through the translation to the Koine Greek and then transcends the whole world. You actually speak a little Hebrew. When you say, amen, you actually are like speaking Hebrew. And if you could do like some of the things that like Dwight Schubert does, you go, when you say it, and then people will think maybe you are Hebrew. You go, amen. And people are like, oh, he's good. So the Hebrew is actually pronounced amen. Now this is what's funny. You know, there's actually splits. And I... I don't like to mock the body of Christ, but there are certain points I'd like to poke at it. Okay, how ridiculous is the argument, no, it's pronounced amen. No, it's amen. No, it's amen. No, it's amen. Actually, both are wrong. It's amen. Isn't that hilarious? That's how you pronounce it. Okay, and even in the Greek, it's pronounced amen. So it means, because it's a Hebrew word. Verily, truly, amen is what it means. So be it. So this is a very simple understanding if you were to look at the dictionary definition of it. And then in the Greek, it's actually just the Hebrew word. That's all it is. It means firm, verily, amen, truly, so be it. May it be fulfilled. Okay, so that's your little introduction to the word. So if I say amen, it's an adverbial declaration. What am I saying? Well, this is sort of what I'm saying. If I say amen, I'm saying fully. Well, that sounds odd, though, which is why we don't usually yell out, fully. Could you imagine if you yelled that out in here when I'm preaching? You go, fully! And we're all like, huh? Well, who said that? Truly! Absolutely! Undoubtedly! There's no doubt in it! God said it! He will do it! Completely! Certainly! These would all fit. This is completely and utterly trustworthy. That's what you could say. So when you are amening something, which is a sort of a term we use in a funny way. We never, I don't know if any of us have ever written that out and say, I'm amening something. However, we do. We actually agree. There's, it's the same faith that we have believed Jesus with. The same faith that we take his word as if it is, in fact, the word of God. When we hear the word spoken, when we hear someone else say something that is in agreement with Jesus, that is in agreement with his word, we say, that is completely and utterly trustworthy. Why? Because it's not because it's man's word, because it's God's word. And he's amen. We're agreeing with the amen. We're amening the amen. That's what we're doing. It's okay to say amen as I go through this. I know you're feeling a little awkward. It's like, I know, I feel awkward saying it. Maybe I should say Fully. The amen God. Now you see, because this is an adverbial declaration, we oftentimes don't even know really how to use it. And because we've translated out of the Hebrew and turned it into other words, we don't recognize that this is a very, very common word in the Hebrew language. And the use of it is all over the place in the Bible. However, we translate it to help our minds understand it, even though in the New Testament we just use the word. It's really odd. So let's look at the use of it in the Old Testament. Now, therefore, that the Lord thy God, know, therefore, the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God. Now, you notice how I made faithful really big for you? 
just so you would catch it, because I'm going to go back to it. Which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. So this is a big statement about this faithful God. But that word faithful is amen. And so what we have is, know therefore the Lord thy God, he is God. The amen God. So most of us have never thought of describing God as the amen God. We, the faithful God makes more sense to our mind. However, if we're going to be Hebrew for a little bit here, we would say, no, that actually makes total sense. And you know what? It actually helps us understand the idea. You see, in the Hebrew, the word for faith and believe, and the word for right hand and creator, and the word for saying that is absolutely certain and true, are all based out of the same three letters. That is who our God is. You take the three letters or the three persons of the deity, you weave them together, and what you have is amen. It will be done. If he said it, he will do it. So you could say, well, did he say it? And I could say, he did say it. And then you could say back, well, then he'll do it. And that's the equivalent of me saying amen, and you saying amen, and me saying amen. You see, it's that true. God is certain to do it. Now, here's where I want you to begin to feel a little conviction. That's our God. Is that us? You see, you can be that certain in God. He is the amen God, and we are his church. What are we supposed to demonstrate? That quality. He said it, he will do it. Whoa, whoa, suddenly feeling a little hot in here. And that's exactly what I want the Spirit of God to do in each of our lives. I've been hot the last few days preparing this message. So it's time you join me. <laughs> Thus saith the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to him whom man despises, to him whom the nation abhors, to a servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes shall also worship, because the Lord that is faith, because of the Lord that is faithful, and the Holy One of Israel, and he shall choose thee. Look at what that means. Because of the Lord that is the Lord that is amen. And here we have truth. And you see, it's big. Now, all of these scriptures that I'm going to read to you that are uh, coming are all the idea of amen in the Hebrew that are translated for us to help us along, like faithful. So we're like, okay, I can understand faithful. He's faithful. He's also truth. So that he who blesses himself in the earth shall bless himself in the God of truth. And he that sweareth in the earth shall swear by the God of truth. So look at what that is. Shall bless himself in the God of amen. And the God of amen. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. This testimony of the Lord is sure. You know what sure is? That's right. The testimony of the Lord is amen. And here we have another All his commandments are sure. All his commandments are amen. Have I made known that which shall surely be? I actually really like this one. That which shall surely be. I think that's a great way of saying what amen is. That which shall surely be. And that's what that is. He has made known the amen. Amen. So what does it mean? It means faithful, true, sure, that which shall surely be. So when you understand how to approach the word of God, you understand that it is amen. It is written by an amen God so that you could believe it. Where do we put our faith? We put our faith in the amenness of God. That's what you're putting your faith in. He said it. Will he not do it? He has promised. He cannot lie. Faithful is he who has called us who also will do it. Hey, this is amen. We put our confidence in God. And we say amen. You know when you believe 
What you're saying in your soul? Amen. That's what you're saying. So how are we saved? By faith, right? I mean, that's, that's what truly is offering us the grace of God is by faith or by grace through faith, but faith is the avenue through which we access. It's through amen. His amenness leads to our amening. His amenness. Making up some words. Amen. So this is our adverbial declaration. This is the most common word in all of the human race. You could say it that way in competition with Coca-Cola. So the question is, how will it be done? This is how an adverbial declaration works. So if some, someone says, but, I, I see what it says in Scripture, but how will it be accomplished? And then what's our answer? Amen. But the way we would say it, would, which would make more sense, the answer of the believer, perfectly. How's he going to do it? Perfectly. Why? How do you know? Well, he's the Amen. I mean, that's just what he does. He said it, he'll do it. And he does everything he does perfectly. When he created the heavens and the earth, was he like, yeah, oofs. Ah, boy, I would do that different next time. It was good. It was very good. When God goes to work, he does his work perfectly. And so when you begin to understand the character of the amen God, and you begin to realize that when he goes to work, he does his work well. When you go to work, how do you do your work? The question, how will God answer? The answer of the believer, faithfully. The question, how much can we trust our God to do it? The answer of the believer, without even a thought of failure. That's the equivalent of saying, amen. Without even a thought of failure. I mean, why could we, how could we ever even host and be hospitable to a thought that God would fail? He's amen. He cannot fail. He cannot fail ever leave us or forsake us. It's his nature. There is no shadow of turning in him. Haven't you been introduced to the amen God? Because that's what our confidence rests upon. The question, how certain can we be? I mean, uh, Eric, how certain can we be in this? The answer of the believer, absolutely. Amen, confidence. We have confidence in the amen that is amen rock solid. We believe it because he can't change. The question, oh believer, what do you say in response to what God has done? Amen and amen. He has done just as he promised and he will continue to do just as he has said. That's how we live. That's how we believe. That's what faith is. Doubt and questions. This is just a fascinating little, uh, I don't want to say trivia point because it does have value. And I'd love to go into it a little more, but... I can't. Aleph, the, the A part of the, the three letters, if you remove the A, the A is a very strong addition in the Hebrew. So when you add A, it adds strength. And when you remove an A, it removes strength. Okay? In, in a sense, the A, just like in the word ab in the Hebrew, means father. So it's like a fatherly paternal strength that comes into the word amen. And the mem, the M is, is like blood, and so then the, the N, the noon, is like a seed or a sprouting seed. So you almost like have a picture of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit just in the, the, the three letters. So you remove the A or the Aleph, and what you have is a different word, and it's called mon. And you know that in the wilderness, there was something known as mon. Do you know what mon means? It's the exact opposite of faith. It means doubt and confusion. What is it is what it means. And that was the manna that came down. Mon is what it was called. They actually called it mon. It's, it's, it's not amen. 
It's doubt, quizzical wonder. It's like, what is that? That's actually what it means. So note the loss of the all-important A at the beginning. So when we say amen, what exactly are we saying? This is what we're saying. He did it, and he will do it, and I'm absolutely certain of it. He will never stop doing it. So when you know what he did, it becomes a pretty exciting thing. You see, he is our salvation. He has worked a wondrous redemption. He has done it. He has accomplished it. He has crushed the head of the serpent. He has done it. He will continue to do it, and he will always do it. And he is amazingly faithful in that. And we place all of our confidence, kaboom, squarely upon that rock of the amen. We know it. So the amen Jesus, and I'm just going to use the the pronunciation of amen, even though some of you in here that are ameners uh, might be a little uncomfortable uh, with it. But that's the word I grew up with. I grew up with amen. I'm not exactly sure why I have been you know, with people, have you ever been in the, singing the doxology where some, half the group sings amen, half the group sings amen at the very end and you feel all awkward? <clears throat> so the amen is Jesus. So all of the Old Testament is giving a foreshadow of one that is faithful, one that is true, one that is sure, and one that will surely accomplish what he has been sent forth to do. The word will not return void. There is an amen that is forecasted. God is already amen, but there is an amen. There is a promise. There is a Messiah that is prophesied about. He will come. He will do it. He is, in fact, the amen. So it's the great gospel incarnate. Look at Revelation 3. It actually calls him this exact name. And it actually uses that very Hebrew word. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the amen the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Just right there, you have all the definition of the Old Testament word for amen. Right there. He's called the amen. He's the creator. He's the master artisan. He is the sure one. He is the faithful and true witness. He's the beginning of the creation of God. Isn't that an amazing statement? Speak to the church at Laodicea. You know what? You sort of want to loosen your collar a little and go, is that us? We need to hear the amen. Jesus, the amen. In him is no variation or shadow of turning. He was, he is, and he is to come, which means he's always the same. This is what the amen is. So, there is no alteration in him. He is. And who he was 2,000 years ago is the same as he is today. Who he was 4,000 years ago, same as who he is today. Who he was 6,000 years ago, same as he is today. And that's, of course, at Adam and Eve. You go back 6,000 years, right? So who he was 8,000 years ago, same as he is today. Now let's go forward. You can count as many numbers as you want. You have the same God. And in him is no shadow of turning. What does that mean? He's amen. You see, he's the same. Has he not said it and will he not do it? He is, which means he's like that rainbow in the sky. The rainbow in Noah's day is the exact same color scheme as it is today. It's a symbol of God. Zorro sticks a Z on the wall. God sticks a bow in the clouds. He says, I will not change. I am, is what he says. Has he said it and shall he not do it? Don't you know that he's the amen? Didn't he tell you? Didn't he give you his word on that point? You're like, well, yeah. Well, then won't he do it? You see, he's amen. He has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. 
You see, this concept of leaving and forsaking is, is one of the ones that I'm going to play on as we move forward because it's so common in the church today. Leaving and forsaking, and yet our behavior in the church of Jesus Christ is so opposite the nature of our God, who does not leave and he does not forsake. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God is consistent. He is perpetual. He is not a seasonal flower. He is always the same. He is predictable. And look at this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And then what's the next word? Amen. That's Jesus talking. Jesus, the extraordinary model of human amening. I know, to use the, the word amening is sort of awkward, but I think you're catching on as we're going through this. So here's God, and we know that God is the amen God. Okay, probably most of you have come to the conclusion, okay, all right, Eric, I, I see what you're saying. God is amen. Thank God that he's amen because we're not. However, what Jesus has done is he has modeled the life that we ought to live. Now, I recognize he was God, so don't get me wrong. I'm not actually thinking that we should be God. What I'm saying is he has done what we couldn't do. He has lived an amen life. He isn't just amen, but he came and lived the amen life, faithful and true. Then what he does is he opens up his side at the cross, and he says, climb on in. By faith, enter into my amen life. And his amen life actually becomes our clothing. And it's what justifies us. It's what allows us to boldly enter the throne of grace. We are actually clothed in his work on that cross. His death becomes our death. His burial, our burial. His resurrection, our resurrection. His ascension, his seat at the right hand, our seat. We are in him. We are in the amen. And then what does he say? Ask the Father. Ask the Father for the Holy Spirit. Another way of saying this, ask the Father for that amen life to enter into you so that you can begin to live out the supernatural amen life. You don't actually think that I'm really wanting you to keep living the way you have been, do you? Well, no, no, I, I didn't think that good. You see, we are meant to change, be transformed into the image of God. From glory to glory, we're to be altered so that our word becomes our bond, so that our yes is actually yes and amen, so that when people say, oh, yeah, Eric said he'd do it, he'll do it. When you say you'll do it, they say, oh, he'll do it. She'll do it, absolutely. You see, you're an amen Christian. So look at the example of Jesus. This is quite extraordinary. Jesus is misunderstood. All throughout his entire life, he's misunderstood. You see, he's God, but he's also a child, and he's submitted to parents. What's amazing is Jesus had parents, and his parents were not divine, even though some would say Mary is divine. She's just a human. She's just like us. She's made of the same clay, and Jesus submits to her. Listen to this. And they understood not the saying which Jesus spoke unto them. And he, Jesus, went down with them and came to Nazareth, which is where he grew up. This is his hometown. And was subject unto them. You see, Jesus showed honor. He was faithful and true in the position that God assigned him. Though he was God, he humbled himself to take a low place and to model for us how the amen life works. You're not God. And so you can be a little confused saying, well, God you know, does his amening this way. And Jesus, when he became a man, did his amening this way. He actually lived it, and he was subject unto his parents, as bizarre as that might be for any of us to actually wrap our minds around. 
But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. That's the context for it. Jesus submitted to his earthly authority, and he grew in that situation. And we know him as the faithful and true, as the amen. He literally modeled for us something quite profound. So who are we, the church? We're the ones that have believed in Jesus. We're the ones that are clothed in his amen life. We are the ones that have approached boldly into the throne room of grace. We have asked the Father for the life of the amen God to actually live and move and have its being within us. That these hands would be his hands. These eyes would be his eyes. This mouth would be his mouth. These hearts would beat with his burdens. That we would become what is known as the body of Christ. The body of the amen. The body of the one that is faithful and true. So therefore, it is Highly important for every single one of us in here to recognize that when God says it, he will do it. When we as Christians say it, we will do it. We need to understand what it means to be amen Christians. So the church is what the scriptures would know as the amen messenger. The amen messenger, as the cold of snow in the time of harvest, so is a faithful messenger to them that send him, for he refreshes the soul of his masters. So what that means is as the cold of snow in the time of harvest, in other words, it's refreshing, so is an amen messenger to them that send him, for he refreshes the soul of his masters. Amen. The ever-maturing word. So it starts with the conclusion of a prayer, a little postage stamp, a little flag up on the uh, mailbox, and then you begin to see what it is. And what does it lead to? Whoa. God, you are faithful and true. You've done it. You will always do it. I can trust you. And then what does it lead to? God, I'm not like you. God, you say it and you will do it, but I say it and I don't do it. Gulp. God, sanctify me. I want the world to see the amen God in and through an amen church. And that's where we're at today. We are not the amen God, but we are to be the amen church. That the world around us and every relationship we're in could testify to the fact that we are true to our word and we are continual in our life and our love. Are we living the amen life? Are we faithful? Are we true? Are we loyal? Are we trustworthy? Can we be leaned upon? Can others trust us to carry them when they are weak? I mean, our friend gets into a difficult time, a difficult pinch, and what happens to our amen life? Well, that's a little inconvenient over here. You see, we can espouse amen living, but amen living is proven in those moments. Can others know that we will not leave them nor forsake them in their trials and dark seasons? Can others know with certainty that we will not turn on them to take or take advantage of the intimate trust they've offered to us? You know when you share your hearts and unpack your burdens to someone, you need to know that you can trust them. You know what intimacy is based on? Trust. You know how hard it is to trust people these days? So you share your weaknesses. And what can that person do? They can blog about them the next day. They can post it on Facebook. Do you trust anyone anymore? I mean, can we? I mean, God is faithful. Yeah, God wouldn't post that on his Facebook page, but I don't know about any of you guys. 
You see, do we have each other's back? The world doesn't have our back, but we should have each other's. You see, we are the church. We need to learn to live the amen life together. Can others know with certainty that we will not turn on them or take advantage of the intimate trust they've offered to us? Do we continue and persevere in our loyal support through all ups and downs? The spirit of the age, and this is what I talked about last week. I'm not going to go into this at any great level, but just as a reminder, the current reigning behavior, compulsion, attitude of the world system, the Germans call it the zeitgeist. It's the world's spirit. It's the world's life power. This is how they work. This is political correctness. When that begins to creep into the church, when the behaviors of the world, which are opposite of God, by the way, we talked about fickleness. Fickleness is of the world. It is the exact opposite of God. The enemy is fickle. He says, eat this fruit. You can be as God. I have your back. I'll take care of you. Vote Lucifer. I'll have your back. He's a politician. He has no interest in following through on any statement he makes. He will not keep his word. He is the father of lies. He is fickle. So when the enemy speaks, you can almost take it to the bank. He won't do it. I mean, it's that certain. When God speaks, you can take it to the bank that he will, in fact, do it. Which one are you? You see, you must bear the nature and the resemblance to the word of God, not to the word of the devil. So the spirit of the age, when that begins to creep into our lives, what happens to the church? We bear witness of the world, not bear witness of the amen. The fickleness of our times. So here's a subtitle for this. Introducing the generation most likely to betray their mentors. Remember how I said that last week? When our generation, when the younger generation was examined, the younger generation was considered the most likely out of any generation in history to betray its mentors. So as a result, those that deposit their best and invest into their lives, it's usually parents, by the way, that the younger generation begins to see the light. They take a little piece of fruit from the world. And they bite it, and they look back at their parents with a jaundiced eye like, who are you? I, 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 mean, I can't believe I trusted you growing up. You guys are way back in caveman times here. You have no idea what you're doing. I mean, how embarrassing to even call you my parents. And we find ourselves distancing ourselves from our heritage, from our parentage. At the most basic level, we have been snake bit. The fickleness of our age has begun to overcome us, introducing the generation most unlikely to be amen messengers. So that's just another way of saying it. In other words, if we represent the generation most likely to betray its mentors, well, we're also the generation most unlikely to be amen messengers, to be messengers that are so utterly trustworthy that when we give our word, everyone knows it. We'll follow through. When we say we'll stand by you, when, when you're going through a difficult time, They know, the world knows, the Christians around us know, they know that we will be true to our word. They know that we will not be fickle, that we will not fail them, that we will not come up with a whole bunch of justifications and excuses when times get difficult. That we will actually walk through difficulty, we'll actually bare our own chest and take a bullet for them. This is the amen life, this is the life of Christ, the amen He will gladly suffer loss that he could consider the needs of someone else above his own. That's what he did. That's his life. Are we willing to have his life become our life? The fickle and the faithful. Fickle. Here's from the 1828 dictionary. 
The Latin is vacillo. You'll know the word vacillate comes from this same idea. It means to go back. Remember wave of the sea? Tossed to and fro? You see, God can't stand fickleness. He is the opposite of fickleness. And ironically, some of us actually think God is fickle. We think he's the type that sticks out his hand and goes, hey, want a handshake? And we're like, oh, yeah, I get to shake hands with God. Do we reach out our hand? He goes, you know, it puts the hand through his hair. All cool. We're like, oh, leaving me hanging, God. God doesn't do that. The enemy does it. Don't get the two mixed up. They're very different. So in the Greek and the Hebrew, the idea is to stagger. Abraham staggered not at the promise of God. He was not fickle with the promises of God. But he was strong in his faith. He was amen, strong. And so this idea of vacillation or staggering is the idea of fickle. It means wavering or inconstant, unstable, of a changeable mind. Have you ever been around people that hear one doctrine over here and they're like, yeah, that's what I believe. And then the next day they hear something else that sounds more impressive. Like, yeah, that's what I believe. It's like, uh, which one are you, buddy? Hey, do you have any idea what's going on inside there? Because you're, you're believing contradictory things two days apart. Okay, which one are you siding with? And so when you go back and forth like a wave of the sea, it literally leads to an absolute ridiculous existence, number one, but chaos within our ranks. Irresolute, not firm in opinion or purposes, capricious. Capricious is the idea of giving false promises. Big smile on the face, it's the, pol- the politician's way of saying, look, vote for me, I have your back. Oh, he doesn't have your back. He- he'll forget your name the moment you move on. You see, this is the idea of capricious. God is not this way. Number two, not fixed or firm, liable to change or vicissitude as a fickle state. It is not fixed, it's not firm. What's a Christian? Fixed and firm. That's what a Christian is. A Christian is not fickle. Because God is not fickle. Uh Uh-oh, pop quiz, guys. Sorry, I didn't forewarn you, but it wouldn't be any fun. It wouldn't be a pop quiz if I'd forewarned you. I'm going to give you a pop quiz. You don't have to write anything down. You just need to feel conviction. (laughs) The fickle test. Are you living as the fickle or as the faithful? Now, here's what's interesting. At every dimension of our life, even for the rest of our life, there are going to be points when you actually have taken growth steps. You really, maybe you used to be fickle, and now generally in your life, you have a consistent pattern of living faithful. However, when you hear a test like this, what do you feel? Fickle. So it doesn't mean it's the character or the tenor of your life. It means the Holy Spirit is coming in and saying, let's deal with that. Let's move that out. It doesn't mean the tenor of your life is fickleness. It just means there's still fickleness there. And let's allow the amen God to search us, to try us, and to move it out. If the tenor of your life is fickleness, repent and repent quick. We cannot have this in the body of Christ. Big talk or big living? Do you remember Peter? So I'm going to introduce you to Peter the fickle and Peter the faithful. Peter, the apostle Peter, spoke big. What did he say to Jesus? Jesus said he was going to be turned over to the hands of sinners and die. And what does Peter say? No, not on my watch. I would gladly lay down my life to protect you. And what does Jesus say? You think Jesus would say, thank you, Peter. That means so much to me. You see, God isn't looking for just big boasts. He knows when someone is fickle. And one of the number one things he had to prove in in Peter is his fickleness. Had to show him that, Peter, you don't have the substance. You don't have the power of the Spirit to live this life that you're esteeming. You will always remain fickle if you're digging in your own pockets to find that faithfulness. The amen life 
doesn't come in the strength of Peter, the natural strength of Peter. It comes in the power of the Holy Spirit given to Peter. You know that the same guy that denied Jesus Christ three times and proved fickle. He's the epitome of the picture of fickleness in Scripture. And yet that same one is also the rock, the picture of a rock and the picture of the faithful Peter. Isn't that an amazing thought? And that even unto the end, I think the students heard it this week from Kramer, that even unto the end, when Peter is being led to his death, he's going to be crucified as Jesus Christ was crucified. And he chose a more painful death because he didn't want to dishonor his Lord's crucifixion. He's like, I'm unworthy to die as my Lord did. And they crucified him upside down. The same one that denied Christ before a little girl now is before the nations willing to suffer a more difficult death to honor his Lord. From fickle to faithful. What's the difference? Something known as Pentecost. Something happened in there that changed Peter. Changed Peter from denying Christ three times to suddenly standing before the city of Jerusalem and testifying, knowing full well that he likely would be crucified. And yet that same man behaved completely different. Every single one of us in here must transfer from fickle to faithful. Are you fickle with God? So we're going to start with a test in our relationship with God. Are you constant, faithful, and true with how you are directing your inner life? And so you have this inner life. Now, what God wants to do is test you against his inner life. And so his inner life is amen. It is true. It is honest. It is marked by absolute integrity. When he says he'll do something, he'll do it. How about yours? Yeah, God, I'm going to get up in the morning, and I'm going to spend time with you. Snore. Yeah, in 15 minutes. In another 15 minutes, I got to bed really late last night, God, and so snooze. You see, that's fickleness. You know, if, if your uh, workout buddy was in the parking, in your driveway waiting for you, uh-uh, and you're going to go to the gym, and you're like, uh, no, I got, I got to bed. Snooze. It's called disrespect. It's called dishonor. It is fickleness. You said you were going to do something, and you didn't. How about with God? You see, why is it that we think we can be fickle with God and that doesn't count? God doesn't care about those things. It's possible that God cares more. You ever thought about that? That God actually cares more because this is an issue of his character. He does not like fickleness. God actually wants honesty in the inward part of our being. Do you stay constant and unwavering in your trust in Christ and his word? I believe your word. And then the enemy goes, but what about this? Have you ever considered this? And we're like, yeah, God, I trust your word, but I just want to listen to the enemy just for a little bit, and I want to hear his take on it. And so we turn, like a wave of the sea, we turn, and we heed the voice of doubt and begin to diminish this. Hey, I thought you said you were trusting. I thought you were marked by faith. You said God cannot lie. What in the world are you doing over here? Have you proven faithful and always in what you place your eyes upon. You see, how we handle these eyes is very critical. And you could have seasons where it's like, yeah, and I'm only going to look on this. I'm not going to look on that. I'm not going to be distracted by this. And then you have one of those moments like, oops. And then it's like, you know what? I've already done it. I might as well keep looking. Fickle. You see, this is not part of the nature of God. Have you proven faithful and always in what you place your thoughts upon? What are your thoughts doing? You see, would God be able to look into your inner life and go, amen, 
Amen. Amen. You see, I know I'm giving a standard and a test that every single one of us at certain levels is going to fail. I understand that. However, until the conviction is allowed to seep in and get to that, you will not call on the Lord Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit to begin to change these patterns. You have all you need to set new patterns and to behave in a new way. You have it. But first, you need to agree that you need it. And if you actually think you're fine, you have a serious problem. This is not the way God is. Think on these things, says Paul. Noble, pure, of good report. You know, we could give the list. Is that what you're thinking on? Have you proven consistent and faithful in what you invest your time in? If God were to follow you around, which he does, literally and watch how you're spending every moment of your day, is he going to say, amen, amen, amen? Have you proven consistent and faithful in what you give your money to? If he were to watch you, spend your nickels and dimes even, even your pennies, is he going to say, amen, amen? Is he going to brag to his disciples, say, you see that? That guy over there, you see how he's handling his money? Amen. Yeah, this is just the start of our pop quiz. Have you proven consistent and faithful in where you direct your esteem, worship, and affection? Oh, God, I will only worship you. Go Broncos! God, just just a second here, okay? I got some exciting stuff going on over here. You see, are you taking your esteem, your worship, your adoration, robbing from God and giving it elsewhere? You see, if you do that in your marriage, I can guarantee you up front, your marriage is going to stink. You have your devotion, you have your ardor, you have your passion, you have your singleness of gaze upon your spouse. And you're saying, well, but there's an attractive woman over here. And your wife isn't going to say, oh, well, that makes sense then. In other words, how we hold our inner life before God is supposed to be amen and amen. Would God say, you, my child, have proven to be my amen messenger? If right now you're feeling like, no, praise God for his shed blood. You see, you are clothed in his amenness. Yes, God desires to purify us, to change us into his likeness. But meanwhile, while we're a work in process, I want you to remember right now, you are clothed in his amenness. And when the Father looks at you, he sees the amen of Jesus Christ. That's very important. So when God looks at you right now, you know what he's saying? Amen. So just in case you were feeling a little insecure, I just want to remind you of big picture. But we have a Holy Spirit that wants to begin to change us so that our real demonstration of God Almighty down here on earth is accurate. Introducing Amen Annie. So I don't know how many of you know Annie Weshy. She's a big part of our life. And uh, here's one thing I could say about Annie. I'm calling her Amen Annie. In regards, this next little subsection is about parents and the way you treat your parents. One of the things that I most respect about Annie Weshy is how she's always treated her parents. She is always only spoken words of honor and life about her parents. I mean, I've known her for over a decade, and we, we've, we know her very well as a family. And no matter what she's walked through, you will see such high esteem, such high praise. She always considers the virtues of her parents. It's amazing. It truly is remarkable, especially in a generation that can't seem to even find one scrap of something to be positive about with their parents. Then you have Amen Annie who is loyal to her parents no matter what. And it's actually a beautiful picture. Are you fickle with your parents? Have you guarded the confidences of your parents? 
You know that your parents have entrusted a lot to you and you know a lot about their life. And as a result, you can hurt them in a deeper way than anyone else can. You know, one of the things that my dad always taught me, whether or not you agree with this concept, but it's interesting because it's based on the same premise, is, Eric, we never talk about how much the Ludi family makes outside of the Ludi family. It was just a protocol and a code of honor in the home. If I did, that would be a disrespect to my dad. Okay, so whether or not you believe it's like, oh, we should share that with everyone. That isn't the point. The point is my dad had a code of honor. He's basically like, Eric, I'm going to entrust you with this information. You can know this. However, this is between us. And so it's what intimacy is based upon. If I dishonor that trust, guess what? My dad can't entrust me with anything else. When God gives you a secret, when God gives you something, how do you handle it? When your parents give you something, how do you handle it? You see, we have such a replete issue in our culture of dishonoring and devaluing our parentage that we actually don't see it anymore. That it's exactly opposite of the way Jesus even was with Mary and Joseph. I mean, just a young couple, and he's God Almighty, and yet he showed honor. uh, How much more should we, who are not God, and who have desperately needed the care of our parents growing up, though they were imperfect? You see, one of the balancing elements that we're going to go through, not today, but in the upcoming weeks, is what do you do when you have really, really bad leaders? What do you do in those situations? Do you just blindly turn in an eye and say, I'm going to be loyal no matter what? I'm going to deal with that. However, that's not the theme of today. I want to talk about loyalty. I want to talk about amening in our life. Have you protected your parents and honored their position in your life? They're my parents. Enough said. So, well, could you say at least something to criticize them? Something, because I'm really wanting to get on your parents' case. No. You see, you may know that your parents are imperfect, but you are not going to participate in the enemy's agenda, in the world's agenda, to slur your parents and to destroy them. You will not be party to that. Have you covered over their faults and chosen only to broadcast their virtues? Have you been an amen, Annie? Have you stood by your parents even when others attacked them? Even if you know that some of the accusations may even be correct, were you willing to stand with your parents anyways? And would they know that you would be standing? Would they know that the integrity of your thoughts toward them would still be honor and love? Would they have that confidence? Would your parents think, yes, my child would always have my back. If anyone would, they would stand with me. They truly love me. They will care for me if ever I am helpless and in need. Have you proven amen to your parents? A rock of integrity, a stable element in which they can store confidence. Have you shown gratitude to your parents for giving you life, instructing you, correcting you, and giving, you, giving what they gave to you? I recognize that some of you in here were dealt a rather thin blessing, maybe, from your parents. And in fact, right now, as I'm bringing this up, you're thinking, I can't even think of one thing to say thank you for. Well, ask God, because I bet he has something. You see, you are still here today with the opportunity of hearing truth. God is truly the one that has cared for you, but God has given you something. And sometimes those gifts that we get from our earthly parentage don't, they seem like rocks in our stocking. And it doesn't seem like much of a blessing. However, would you be willing to take that rock out and say, thank you. Thank you. If you look closer, you might actually find, you know, it's sort of like one of those geodes. If you cut it open, it's like, whoa, it's some sparkle in it. You see, the things that we've inherited are actually part of what makes us strong in our life, too. 
And your parents, though they be imperfect, have given you life. Have you been an amen messenger unto your parents? Would your parents say, you, my child, have proven to be an amen child? Would you as a child know that your parents know right now that no matter what they go through, you're still their child? Would they know that no matter what they face, that they still have you? If they got sick and one of your parents died and left the other one there and they were sickly, that they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you would actually care for them, that you would take up their cause because they're your parents. You would do that for someone down the road here. How about your own parents? We as Christians are such an amazing contradiction. We have such a heart for the lost and the dying, but we don't have a heart for our own flesh and blood. I'm not saying that our priorities don't stem from the kingdom of heaven first, but God's priorities are still there. He still created an order of things, and he still wants us to show loyalty and amen living. Introducing Uncle Amen. My uncle uh, is quite an interesting picture of this next one, which is family, friends, uh, we could call it teammates on a team, like on a soccer team, football team, basketball team fellow soldiers. My uncle, he trained his kids that basically, and whether or not you would agree, because I would say the body of Christ is the thickest bond that we have. Our relationship with God is our thickest bond, but that does not negate the blood bond. Does that make sense? In other words, what a lot of people do is they negate blood bond because they say, well, I'm supposed to forsake my father and mother. Yeah, yeah, but not in the way that you actually kick them and harm them. You don't show dishonor to them. You still are amen in your life. I mean, you're amen towards the world out there that is dying and lost. How much more should you be so to your parents who are blood? And so as a result, we've lost the basics. I mean, go back to Isaiah 58, and this is the true fast. How you care for your own flesh and blood is actually part of the nature of God expressed through our life. And so Uncle Amen, that's not his name, but uh, the way he treated his, his kids is he basically said, look, I will always have your back. I will always be there. I don't care what you go through. I don't care if you go off and you know, get you know, into a life of uh, prostitution and drugs. I don't care. I will still be your father. And he taught them this. And I tell you what, it's one of the closest knit families all growing up. All of them have this idea. I will never betray the confidences of my family. It is this loyal nest of people. Nest is really not the best word. Loyal of people. How was that? Would that be more clear there? Are you fickle with your children? Have you guarded the confidences of your children? So when your children share something with you, do you go public with it? Your next little gathering of of girls and your tea, and you say, oh yeah, and this, and you actually take something that's a confidence and share it quickly. That's a betrayal of trust, and your children will stop sharing with you. Simply put, if they know that the moment they share with you, it goes to your your friends and they're going to giggle about it, they're not going to share with you anymore. You see, fickleness actually leads to a closure and a ceasing of intimacy. Have you protected your children and honored their position in your life? Have you done what you told your children you would do? Do your children know that you will never betray them, never leave them, nor abandon them to difficulty? How many parents feel, how how many children feel vulnerable to what may happen to their parents? And how many children have been abandoned? And yet, do your children have the confidence that you are an amen parent? Are your children absolutely confident that you love them and will stand with them no matter what? 
Would your children say, you, my dear father and mother, have proven to be an amen parent? Are you fickle with your siblings? That means brothers and sisters. Have you guarded the confidences of your siblings? Have you protected your brothers and sisters and honored their position in your life? Have you done what you told your brothers and sisters you would do? Do your siblings know that you will never betray them, you never leave them nor abandon them to difficulty? Are your brothers and sisters absolutely confident that you love them and will stand with them no matter what? Would your siblings say, you, my brother and sister, have proven to be an amen sibling? Now, the one I don't have in here is spouse. I, I hope that you guys could catch the application and say, would your spouse say, I have an amen spouse. I can trust them. I know they have my back. There's nothing more damaging than to have a spouse and trust the deepest part of who they are and have that other spouse go and share that or break that trust at any level. Marriage, or I'm sorry, divorce is such a huge thing, not just in how it affects children, but in how it damages the inner life of an individual in the arenas of amen. The last man on the transport. So this next one, uh, that, that one, I, I said that it was going to be about friends and teammates. Uh, that's this one. Sorry about that. The last man on the transport. There was a, a mental picture that I have, and it's, it's just been there for years, as far as the way that, as a leader, I'm supposed to be. And it's really a challenging picture, but it's in uh, Vietnam, and you have uh, the leader who is going into a no-win situation. I mean, it's just death that's awaiting them in this mission. And all the men run off in, you know, to do their, their mission. And as they're coming back, the first man off into this dangerous territory, they don't know if there's going to be a landmine the moment they even get off the, off the transport. The first one off is the leader. Steps off, risks his own life even to prove that the soil is safe. Then he leads his men into the unknown. Then, after all is said and done and they're supposed to get out back on that transport, he'll be the last man on. And if one of his men goes down, they know, his men know, that he will go back and get them. And he will carry them out if necessary, even though he may die doing it. He will not just save his own skin. He will save them. And that's a faithful leader. That's an amen leader. And so this is, this is the picture. Are you fickle with your friends, fellow workers, team members, and fellow soldiers? Have you guarded the confidences of your friends, fellow workers, team members, and, and or soldiers? Have you protected your friends, fellow workers, team members, and our soldiers and honored their position in your life? Have you done what you told them you would do? Do they know that you will never betray them nor abandon them to difficulty? Are they absolutely confident that you love them and will stand with them no matter what? Would your friends say, you, my friend, have proven to be an amen friend? Would your fellow workers say, you, my fellow worker, have proven to be an amen worker? Would your team members say, you, my fellow team member, have proven to be an amen player? Would your fellow soldiers say, you, my fellow soldier, have proven to be an amen warrior? Are you fickle with your leaders? Have you guarded the confidences of your leaders? When you know something about your leader that could harm them, what do you do with it? Have you protected your leaders and honored their position in your life? Have you covered over their faults and chosen to only broadcast their virtues? Have you stood by your leaders even when others attacked them? Would your leaders think, yes, my congregants, my congregants would always have my back. If anyone, they would stand with me. They truly love me. They will care for me if ever I am helpless and am need, and am need, and am in need. You know what's interesting is as a leader in this church, one of the number one hesitations I have to entering into this position that I have is an issue of trust. When you have actually had 
fickle members in the body of Christ that you have poured into and have continually betrayed you, now hard it is to keep going. And yet the fact that I'm standing up here and even saying this message is showing you, God is healing something in my life. I honestly believe that the amen God wants to be amen in his church and that we can walk through these things together and learn to be strong as the body of Christ. That previous habit patterns and behavior patterns within the church do not define where we're going in the future. I know what it's been like and I know the reticence that I would have in my own soul. And I know the reticence you would have. A lot of you might even be in this church either because of someone else's uh, fickleness or your own. I don't want to just build a church on a whole bunch of fickle people that are like, yeah, I don't want to have anything to do with that church. I'm going to go here. And now we're the rebound church. You know, there's a lot of rebound churches out there. Almost every church is full of 99% rebound because no one's going out and evangelizing, getting new converts. So as a result, everyone's rebounded from somewhere. That's not a healthy church. We have a whole bunch of fickleness and that's become the norm. That's why you see me saying, let's go out and instead of church stealing, let's go out and reach the lost. Let's fill this church with a whole bunch of people that don't even know that you can be fickle and a Christian at the same time. You see, every one of us knows that that's just the norm of Christianity. As opposed to, there is no way that that can even fit into Christianity. It has nothing to do with God. Have you proven amen to your leaders? A rock of integrity, a stable element in which they can store confidence. Have you shown gratitude to your leaders for pouring into your life, instructing you, correcting you, and giving you all that they gave to you? Have you been an amen, amen member of your church? Holy, trustworthy, holy, loyal, holy, consistent, and holy, true. Would your pastor say you have proven to be an amen member of this church? Would your boss say you have proven to be an amen worker in this business? You see, that's what I want. Now, I, I know, I, I just happen to be a leader in this situation saying this. I'm not looking for you to say, Eric, I just want to say thank you for investing in me. That's not, I'm not fishing for anything. If anything, I'd rather have you directed towards the pastor and elders in this church. However, what I want you to recognize is from every angle, from the leader, I can't be fickle either. I can't be fickle towards you. When I say something, I need to do it. But you, at the same time, can't be fickle. When you say you're going to do something, you need to do it. And so as a result, we need to work together to see that faithfulness of God, that amenness of God cultivated as a virtue, as an applause point within the church of Jesus Christ. Are you fickle with a dying world? Have you shown them the amen life of Jesus? Those that don't know Christ, what would their statement be of you? Have you proven constant, consistent, and otherly trustworthy in all your interactions? Have your words proven true? When you told them you loved them and would help them, did you follow through? See, what I don't want is us going out and saying, look, if you're ever in a difficult situation, I'm here for you. And then they're in a difficult situation, guess what? We're not there for them. If you're going to say it, you do it. If you're not going to do it, then don't say it. In other words, we cannot be fickle. It's better to be silent for a whole season of your life until you get some things in order than continuing to blaspheme the name of Jesus by saying something that is not true. When you told them you would do something for them in order to serve them, did you actually do it? Yeah, I'll come by tomorrow. I'll mow your lawn for you. Did you? The point isn't did you say it, which sounds very good, and they're all moved by it, going, oh, I'm so blessed by that. And you're like, oh, I feel good then, because that's just what I was after. I wanted them to have that good feeling. Yeah, but actually that good feeling is canceled out by the fact that you didn't keep your word. When you told them you would pray for them, did you really actually 
pray for them. One of the number one things I think we're used to doing is saying, I'll pray for you. We actually don't intend to pray. That's more of an encouragement to say, I'm with you, dear brother. If you say you're going to pray, you pray. It's always the wisest idea to pray immediately. That's the exercise I have in my life. Yeah, I mean, if something's going on, it's like, I'm going to pray for that. I have a list on my computer, and I try and stick it in that list as soon as possible. So I take this stuff very seriously because, I mean, that's, I know how often we say things like that, and I know how the propensity, even in my own life, to say it because in the moment it's just the right thing to say and then not follow up. Would the lost say, if they were to be honest, because that's one of the challenges with lost people, you have proven to be an amen representative of the kingdom of heaven. Would that be the testimony of those that don't know Christ that have witnessed your life? The path of most men. So I don't really care where most men go. What is the inclination of most people on earth? Technically, I already know that. You don't need to tell me to say, hey, this is the way everyone else lives. I know how everyone else lives. I don't care about how most men would live. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. You guys know what that word faithful is? But an amen man who can find. You know what's amazing about this message is right now you could feel like, well, I don't know if they're finding him right here. You see, you might feel a little small in light of this measuring stick, but I want to say I have found an amen man. I have found the solution to my lack of amenness. And it's not in me being amen. I found it in him being amen. And the great gospel centers and hinges and finds its hope in the fact that he was perfectly amen the way I ought to be. And my confidence rests on that fact, on the fact that he is amen. And as a result, I have salvation. I am rescued. I am redeemed because he is amen. And that is still the fact right now. Even after a message like this, uh, that amps up the idea of God's nature entering into us. And it brings a fresh wave of conviction to say, look, are we living as God is intending us to live? But in light of that conviction, I want you to remember the amen God who has saved you. Because no matter what degree you are in developing, allowing the Spirit of God to cultivate amenness in you, which I would say, praise God, let's grow that up. No matter how much amenness you have in you, you still have a little unamenness lingering that is still being driven out and purified. It's less of you, more of Him. And so, as a result, the whole while throughout your life, your confidence isn't in your amenness, your salvation rests in His amenness. So today, at the very conclusion of this, I want us to remember his amenness. I want us to worship his amenness, and I want us to crave that that, that amenness would enter into our lives in a greater degree. Have you found him? Because it said, who can find a faithful man? Who can find an amen man? Have you found him? I found him whom my soul loves. I found the amen man! I found the one my soul loves. I held him and would not let him go. Have you found him? You know that that concept is used of finding uh, twice in the, in the Bible? 
Who can find an amen man and who can find a virtuous woman? Isn't that an interesting statement? Can't you hear it? Us saying, who can find an amen man? I need an amen savior. And then you have the bride saying, uh, well, you have the groom saying, hey, I'm looking for a bride, you know, one of those amen type uh, that I could really uh, grow strong in relationship with. Uh, who can find a virtuous woman? Because her value is, is uh, far above rubies. You see, you have a, almost like there's this dimension of a love story, even on this theme. I found him. Have you? If you haven't found him, I tell you what. His beauty is so extraordinary and his amenness is profound. He will never fail you. You can put your entire trust and confidence in him. We hope you have enjoyed this message by Pastor Eric Ludy, delivered at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without expressed written permission. For more information about us or to help support the ministry of Ellerslie, we invite you to visit us at ellerslie.com, E-L-L-E-R-S-L-I-E.com. Please know that you are not alone in this battle for truth, and we are cheering you on down the narrow way of the cross.